What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, we're exactly one month from Election Day. Whoever wins the mayoral race faces a critical time in Chicago public schools. Enrollment continues to drop, pandemic recovery is ongoing, and an elected school board is on the horizon. Chalk Beat Bureau Chief Becky Vivi has heard from all the candidates on their education policies and tells lead producer Carrie Shepard and me where they stand. It's Tuesday, January 31st. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Becky, welcome back to CityCast Chicago. Thanks for having me, Jacoby. Becky, you all recently sent uh, all nine candidates a questionnaire with 10 questions, some from readers, uh, and we're going to focus on some of those. Uh, But before we jump into those questions, of these nine candidates, who would you say has the most experience in the category of education? Well, if we're talking about experience on the ground in a classroom, that is Brandon Johnson, um, former teacher. Chicago Teachers Union organizer. He's very plugged in to the experiences of teachers and their students in the classrooms. He was involved with the the strike in 2012, going all the way back to that time. If you're talking about leading a school system of this size, um, though he does not have classroom experience, Paul Vallis uh, obviously ran the Chicago Public Schools from 1995 to 2001, then went on to run the schools in Philadelphia, um, the Recovery District in New Orleans, and the schools in Bridgeport, Connecticut. He's also made a long career of being an education consultant, uh, more focused on sort of the reform side of things, but he would be the other with quite a bit of experience in this world. When we think about the challengers who are all trying to position themselves as sort of best suited, you know, are we hearing any attacks towards those two individuals, whether it's, you know, just as one teacher in a classroom, you don't know how to run a system or, yeah, you may have run systems before, but did you run them into the ground? You know, so how are people pushing back towards the experience of both Johnson as a teacher and uh, Vallis as a former administrator? Well, I'll start with Vallis. I mean, I think that is a very big question. And a lot of people who know his record and, and have that sort of long-term institutional memory may say that, you know, what he did in Chicago public schools sort of set up some of the later conflicts. You know, he um, he really kind of cracked down on accountability. They created sort of this system of of holding schools, putting them on probation, and really looking at how they were doing with test scores. And mm-hmm. I would say, you know, Brandon Johnson, f- people have kind of 
countered that, you know, maybe he's too close with the Chicago Teachers Union or or with rank and file educators and won't have that eye on really like making sure that the school system is run in a financially sound way and um, is able to grapple with sort of the government bureaucratic side of things. I will also say you've got folks like Chewy Garcia and Cam Buckner really trying to play up their roles as legislators in pushing for a more equitable way of funding schools the last few years. Uh, Carrie, I want to bring you in here. We've listened to Mary Lori Lightfoot's positions over the last couple of years. You know, as, as an incumbent, she's able to stand up there and say, look at all of these things that are in the budget for Chicago public schools moving forward and how that money is going to be used. But at the same time, coming into this election has a very fraught relationship with the union, is dealing with the current email scandal, which we've covered plenty of times. How do you feel the mayor has positioned herself I think, Jacoby, you nailed it with the contention with the teachers union, something that Johnson is definitely going to continue to go after. And the fact that there have been, what, three work stoppages since she has been mayor and that is going they're going to play into how that affects students, how that affects parents who then don't have a place to send their kids because school is not in session. She can say, look, I did divert X amount of funds to, you know, these programs in the schools and no one else has that experience except maybe, like Becky said, Paul Vallis yeah. saying, here's what I did when I was running the schools. The other thing about Lightfoot is that, you know, the pandemic obviously was this huge challenge that that um, played out in the schools in a lot of ways because you had to close all of the schools. And then that tension with the union really was about, like, how are we going to reopen schools? What is safe? That played out, you know, throughout her term. Obviously, there was the strike before the pandemic hit. But she also, in some ways, got the blessing of all of the federal COVID recovery money that came in the wake of the pandemic or came as a result of the pandemic, Mm. which has allowed her administration to um, fulfill the promises of that contract, hire a lot more counselors and social workers. Now, many will say it's not enough. You see that even on our um, on our questionnaire. I think it was Rod Sawyer said that the ratio for counselors is still too high. You have too many kids assigned to one counselor. But she did staff up in those areas. And you can you can see that in the data. One of the major questions you all asked candidates was about declining enrollment. Right. This is something we're talking about year over year over year. Loss of thousands upon tens of thousands of students from CPS. Um, Were you surprised by anyone's answer as you were kind of looking through those responses on how they plan to address just the number of students that the the system is losing. Sophia King um, put forward an interesting idea of keeping, um, you know, basically growing the population by targeting, um, I think it's low interest home loans to people who work for the city and for the school district to get them to stay and raise their families here. Now, many of them have to stay. um, But this idea of keeping people in the city through um, incentivizing home home ownership was interesting to me. And Cam Buckner's answer was also very fascinating to me because he said that he wants to do exit interviews with people who leave the system, which is something that mm. uh, 
is very intriguing to me. I don't know how you do it in sort of, I guess you could do it in a systemic way and ask people, you know, to fill out a survey once they withdraw their student or transfer out. Mm -hmm. So to actually have a conversation with them to get at the root causes of why they're leaving would be very interesting data to to collect, I think, as a district, because that would give the district... How you use it, though. uh, Yeah, well, and that's the question is like, I think there's a lot of data we've already collected. And frankly, I, I will say overall... Um, I think there's also a lack of understanding of really what's driving the declining enrollment, but there's also just fewer students in the city. And I think grappling with that reality is something that I don't see any of the candidates doing very well. And I don't think you can, I don't think you can grow yourself out of the problem in the next four years. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. You know, another huge issue is the relationship with the Chicago Teachers Union. Their contract ends next year. We've already seen a few school like work stoppages, whether it was related to COVID protocol, whether it was related to a strike for contract negotiations. I mean, Becky, over the last four years during Mayor Lori Lightfoot's first term, would you say that relationships between CTU and uh, the mayor's office have like, this is what we can expect, or have things gotten worse? Oh, man. I don't know if I can say they're better or worse. Um, but, and I don't know if a second term would result in the same kinds of conflicts. Um, again, mm-hmm. 2019, she was a very green, brand new mayor. They went out on strike. You also had new leadership there to some extent at the CTU. All the dynamics were very different than. The previous round of contract talks, which in uh, which was under Rahm Emanuel and even Karen Lewis, um, and so that strike lasted eleven days, and you had a lot of interesting dynamics there. I think Lightfoot has probably learned a lot of lessons from that strike. Um, I also would say that the continued conflict that went on f- under the pandemic and this question of when to reopen schools. I don't anticipate that being a dynamic in the next four years unless we get another mm-hmm. pandemic that shuts down schools to that extent. When LIFA was elected, I don't think anybody could have predicted, oh, yeah, she's going to pick a fight with the teachers union and they're going to go out on strike. I don't think people anticipated that. I think that actually LIFA came in and when it came to a lot of the the wages and benefits, I mean, 
she will even say this, that Jesse Sharkey, you know, praised that contract as being, you know, one of the most lucrative that the union had gotten in terms of teachers' pay and benefits in, in many years. As a parent, as someone who talks to parents, can parents feel uh, an administrative change, like uh, one mayor out, another mayor in? Does, does that really, mm. how much of that is actually felt by a parent, a new administration? I would say that it's not dramatic unless there is some kind of like major conflict or, you know, major overhaul. I'll give the example of when Rahm Emanuel was elected in 2011. He wanted to lengthen the school day and the school year. That has a real, you know, impact on families and students. And I think his kind of aggressive style on that issue, fighting for that issue, I think there was an energy felt among school communities about that. But I will also point to, you know, surveys that are done every year nationally that parents of public school, parents at public schools generally have a lot of great things to say about their individual school, the teachers at their school, the principal at their school, their child's experience at their individual Mm -hmm. school. And then when you ask about bigger systems or the, the broader bureaucracies, that's where people start to criticize Um, you know, dynamics of public education. Becky, to your point about maybe where parents might feel it, with a new administration comes most likely a new CPS administration, right? Like Pedro Martinez is currently under Mayor Lightfoot. But as you've seen, as I've seen over the last decade, we have had a revolving door of CPS CEOs, and that's a powerful position. And so the fact that parents, you know, may feel it in that way, because like you said, you think about your own neighborhood school. But if like a principal or a teacher doesn't want to work for that CPS CEO and they leave, that affects your school, that affects your kid's school. And those are the things that can change with a new administration. Think about like curriculum changes. You know, if you change up, oh, we're going to do we're going to teach reading differently. That impacts kids on the ground and families. I mean, speaking of curriculum, you know, and coming out of COVID-19, we've heard so much about learning loss. But we've also talked about CPS trying to keep up and keep track of its individualized education mm-hmm. programs. Uh, and these are some of the, I believe, the 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 coursework for students who have special needs, different learning capabilities, students who have fallen behind. Can you talk about what's the status of IEPs and CPS, Becky? Sure. So, um they the issue was around the pandemic there was a a need to sort of overhaul a lot of them and rewrite them and that created a lot of a that created a giant backlog of this paperwork um IEPs are legal documents for students with disabilities that spells out the services they are legally entitled to and mandated um often it it is it involves that they get an aid, uh, an extra staff member who spends the day with them. You have a lot of students who are legally entitled to things that they are not getting and they haven't been getting since the pandemic began. And really, some of this predates the pandemic. We also have some transportation issues. Often um, students with disabilities are the ones that need busing, um, specialized you know, transportation to school. And we know that even though the districts worked to, again, clear that backlog, there are still kids that are not getting 
the transportation they are entitled to legally. They are also, if they're getting it, they're getting to school late. To your point too, Becky, reading through the question, the answers to the candidates gave to Chalkbeat's questionnaire about this, there was a lot of like increasing staffing responses, like Cam Buckner, like there should be two teachers and an assistant and like Every teacher I know is like, yeah, I would love it. I would love that. But that's not going to happen. And I know it's not going to happen. And my principal said it's not going to happen. So, like, we need to find another way. And, you know, maybe just like more, more, more people is not the way to fix the system for the students. Becky, when I just think of everything that is at stake right now, right? Again, we talked about a contract running out soon. We're talking about increased enrollment declines. We also got a, the moratorium on school closings uh, about to be up in the next couple of years. Is it safe to say that we might be in one of the most crucial periods of CPS in, you know, maybe our lifetime at least? Yes, I would say that. Um, not just because the moratorium will lift, but when that moratorium lifts, we will begin our transition to an elected school board. Yep. The mayor who gets elected this February or <laughs> April will be the last mayor to have mayoral control of the city's public schools. And I think that is a really important note for people to sit with when they cast their vote. Um, And also maybe perhaps understand that you will soon be asked to vote for somebody to run the school system. Uh, You will be asked Mm -hmm. to vote for a school board president and a school board member from your community. What's really struck me about this race is that education is not, has not been it seems the main focus or main um, hot button issue, it's really been crime and economics, yet it, it is going to be such a pivotal and important opportunity that this candidate or whoever becomes mayor is going to have, or Lightfoot herself, is going to have a few more years with control of the city school system. And what are they going to do with that? Yeah, it's being used in more times than not to pivot to another conversation, right? We want to hear about education policy. And it's like, well, we got to talk about the the decline in people who live in Chicago and focus on that. Or we need to talk about building stronger business corridors or about, you know, public safety, which we all know what they mean when they say that. And now we get it. All of these topics are multi-layered. They play in with each other, but it would be really nice to just hear your solutions on the 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 education policies that you think will will make an impact on decline, learning loss, investment, infrastructure. And yeah, to to, to listen to so many candidates try to pivot back to their other talking points has been a little disheartening. We'll see. You know, we'll see what goes forward. But I think that it's really important to think about that when you head in to vote or when you sit down at your kitchen table to fill out your ballot, that this is the last mayor with control of the schools. Full control, direct control. Well, Becky, thank you so much for joining us here on CityCast Chicago. Uh, Every week leading up to the municipal election, we're going to dive in on some key topics this week. How are mayoral candidates uh, positioning themselves as better or worse on the the topic of education? Uh, So we thank you for joining us to, to look into that. Thank you so much for having me. I hope it was helpful. Always is.
Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. The city and ComEd reached a tentative 15-year contract to keep ComEd as the city's electricity supplier. They also announced an energy and equity agreement setting joint economic goals, including reducing carbon emissions. In case you missed it, superstar WNBA player Candace Parker has decided to take her basketball godly gifts to Las Vegas. I just want to give a huge thank you to Candace for the two seasons and the chip she gave to Chicago. We're going to always love you here in the go. A quick correction on yesterday's episode. Members of the FOP will begin voting next week on who will lead the union. The votes will be counted in early March. We originally gave the wrong date. And some good news to get you through. Today's good news comes from Chris up in Bucktown. Hi, Jacoby and CityCast Chicago team. Uh, I love listening to you guys every morning. You're the first podcast I listen to, and you just are the actual good news of my life in the morning. And I love starting off with you guys. So keep up the great work. The suggestions that you provide throughout the city is just incredible. Um, I'm looking forward to when summer comes. So when I'm able to, to head out into the city and really explore these areas that you've suggested. So keep up the great work. You are my good news. Thank you so much. As always, we appreciate you for listening. Vote for CityCast Chicago as the best damn podcast in the world. I mean, maybe in just Chicago. In the Chicago Reader's Best of 2022 list. Also, vote for us as the best newsletter. We're going to talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Feel better, Sydney Madden.